Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Power blackouts. They happen every year. But guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Goal Zero is the leader in affordable generators and home backup systems. They offer a simple, easy solution for when power blackouts hit so you can keep your home up and running using clean energy. Their systems power critical circuits in your home which are terrible if they go out like your freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. No fuel, no fumes, no noise, no maintenance, unlike gas generators. Not to mention, Goal Zero is portable, so you can take your power on the go as needed for camping, tailgating, and more. And they offer a range of products and affordable price points to meet your needs, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power to solar generators and home backup systems that you can power for one, two, or three days. You can easily monitor and manage your power right from your phone with the Goal Zero app, and they offer best-in-class service with a U.S.-based service team that provides the highest level of technical and customer support. So make sure your power stays on with Goal Zero. Learn more at GoalZero.com. Check out their affordable power stations, solar generators, and home backup systems today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, big changes afoot at Young and the Restless. Uh, So when I was in L.A., I had the opportunity to sit down with the show's new executive producer, Tony Marina, and head writer, Josh Griffith. So I had previously spoken to Josh when he was at Days of Our Lives, but I had never met or spoken to Tony. So let me start by saying I felt it was a great conversation. These two are really passionate about the show and, you know, making it what its co-creator William J. Bell envisioned back in 1973. So to that end, they're incorporating more music into the action, which may seem like an unusual place to start. But Tony told me that the first and last lines of Bill Bell's original Bible were music is a character in the show. So they're really trying to go back to that. Uh, we also discussed the big casting switch from Gina Tonioni's Phyllis to the original portrayer, Michelle Stafford, as well as the addition of All My Children's fan fave, Eva LaRue, and so much more. I mean, it's definitely worth a read, in my opinion. Well, I second that opinion. I uh, could not wait to read it myself. Uh, so there's uh, also some interesting casting news over at General Hospital. Daytime Emmy winner Chloe Lanier will be popping back up as Nell Benson, who, as we know, is behind bars at good old Pentonville. Uh, she'll be interacting with some surprising players uh, during this visit. And uh, Fanola Hughes is taking a temporary leave from Port Charles as Anna for her annual summer hiatus. Well, this is also our real-life romance issue, and you and I both did some interviews with real-life soap duos. So I spoke to Bold and Beautiful's Darren Brooks, who plays Wyatt and is married to Kelly Krueger, also known as Wynar's Mac. And the two have been married for three years, and they're expecting their first child, a girl, but they shared with me that they had trouble conceiving. Uh, You know, they give a very frank account of what went on, and, you know, Kelly admitted to me that she could have just been like, oh, yay, we're pregnant and everything's amazing, and never said a thing about how hard it was for them. But because so many other women and couples experience similar problems, you know, she felt it was really important to share their story. Yeah, it was a very, very moving article. 
Um, and I spoke to Chad Duell, who plays GH's Michael, and B&B's Courtney Hope, who plays Sally. They have been together for three years. And I've actually gotten to spend a little time with them, like at, at uh, industry parties, and really enjoyed their company. But I had never heard the story of how their romance started. And uh, actually, at the time that they met, Courtney was auditioning for the role of Chad's love interest on GH. I thought that was so interesting. I never knew that either. Yeah, so they they had actually met through mutual friends uh, at a party before she was slated to be testing at the show. I shared my opinion that it's uh, clearly for the best that Courtney did not get that job since all of Michael's love interests meet terrible ends. <laughs> um, but I found the conversation really refreshing and adorable. They're just so compatible. And uh, I think it turned out to be a, a really sweet story. Oh, me too. I really loved reading it. Like, I didn't know a lot about them, but felt I did when I finished. Um, So another big story we have is with Daisy's head writer, Ron Carlovati, talking about that big Kristen Nicole twist. You know, I have to say that when Ariane Zucker pulled off the mask to reveal Stacey Heiduck Mm -hmm. underneath it, you know, it was pretty fantastic. Um, Another thing that Ron weighs in on is the state of daytime weddings in 2019. Now, you and I both watched our share of over-the-top, lavish 80s, 90s soap nups, you know, from Luke and Lord, Cruise and Eden, but we really don't see that degree of spectacle today. So uh, in this issue, we talked to writers and actors about what goes into pulling off a soap wedding nowadays. I thought it was really interesting how uh, writers that we spoke to acknowledged that, like, they're aware that these aren't all cast affairs anymore, uh, for the most part, and, and they know that there are people missing, and that they know that the fans know that there are people who should be there and aren't there. Um, but it's it's sort of a budgetary reality. Uh, so I think in 2019, for better or for worse, living room weddings are here to stay. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, we also talked to Joshua Morrow, who admitted that he would be happy to skip a wedding because it's a super long day of filming. And I could see we're probably not as fun for them to tape as much as it is for us to watch. Well, our guest today could probably write a book on all of the soap weddings that she has attended, be it as a guest, a bridesmaid, or the six times that she has played a soap (laughs) bride. It is General Hospital's Jacqueline Zeman, otherwise known as Barbara Jean Spencer. Let me tell you, I love me some Bobby Spencer and my early days of General Hospital. Anything that took place with like Bobby and Ruby or Bobby, Ruby and Luke, count me in. So let's get her on the phone. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Well, we are going to start at the beginning of your soap career as One Life to Live's doomed Lana McLean. Tell us what are your standout memories of your time in Landview? Oh, my goodness. They're all wonderful. Uh, And I actually have, well, I have a lot of, you know, even though it was, uh, you know, decades ago, in some respects, it feels like it was just yesterday because I remember the the people so well, the story so well. And of course, it was my first contract role on a soap opera. So you know how first times kind of ingrain themselves on your brain and in your heart. So I think sometimes we remember some of the things that had, even though it happened many, many years ago, it's still there. The memories are very vivid to me. Um, I remember actually when I first went on to One Life to Live, I was so nervous because I had never been on, you know, a, a soap opera with that kind of that amount of dialogue. And I came on in a storyline, you know, they wrote a storyline for me and I was so nervous. I remember going to Doris Quinlan, our producer, um, and saying, I, you know, this is like, I'm not having fun. I just feel like I'm going to throw up every day before <laughs> I have to go on and do the show. And I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I think I might be better in things where, you know, you don't have as many lines and you have more time to learn them. And she said, give it a month. Give it a month and I know you'll be fine. And if in a month you come to me and you tell me you're still unhappy, I will let you go. That's what she said to me. Wow. And yeah, I know. It was amazing. And then, of course, you know, after I got a couple, a week or two under my belt, um, Jameson Parker was amazing. I had a lot of scenes with him. And then it became fun. (laughs) I'm so glad she, uh, she had told me, you know, Doris, when she first hired me, um, that, you know, they, when they offer you a contract on a soap opera, maybe some of the, you know, audience knows this now, but, you know, you have, when you're a beginner, you get like a 13-week cycle, 13 weeks of TV. So they sign you and you have to agree to be on for the next three years, but they can, they can give you notice to let you go every time a 13-week cycle is up. 
So I had to agree to sign on for three years and they had, you know, in 13 weeks to decide if, if I was staying or leaving. And she said to me, I was very young and she, I knew she knew it was my first contract role on, on anything. And she said, look, you know, we want you to have come on because we have a great idea for a storyline, but we've asked you to sign for three years. And I just want to let you know, it's an arc of a storyline. It's not going to be for three years. It's going to be for several months. And I know I'm going to have to call you back in here in, you know, three to six months and tell you that you're going to be killed off your character. You are bringing you in to kill you off. Um, and I don't want you to feel that it's anything to do with your performances or your work. I just want you to know that that's the way it is right now, which was so, I mean, you know, producers aren't known for being, you know, warm and fuzzy about looking out after the talent when it means giving up storyline ahead. You know, that almost never happens. And um, I remember she called me back in, in three months later and I thought, oh, this is it. I'm getting my walking papers today. It's only been three weeks. I love it so much here. I feel I was feeling like really sad. And I went and she she said, Oh, I can tell by the look on your face. You think that this is a very different meeting. Actually, what I'm telling what I'm called you in to tell you is that the audience has had a wonderful response to the storyline. The network is really happy with your work. We think you're doing a really good job. People like you on the set. We're gonna continue with the storyline and my dear, you're probably going to be here for at least another three years. And that was it. That's so, amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And as a as a young actress who, you know, had very limited experience, you know, professional paying experience, it was it was such a um, a loving gesture, much appreciated, and also a big boost to my self confidence as an actress to feel, oh my gosh, I did a good enough job that they want me to stay and be a real, real, real part of the family here. Obviously, uh you know, you, you weren't unemployed for long when you did leave the show. In fact, you overlapped airing as as Lana and as, as uh, Barbara Jean. But I want you to tell the listeners the story of how a trip to the theater in, uh, ended up getting you on General Hospital. Because when you told this story to me, it blew my mind. Yeah, it's funny how it's funny how things happen in this business. You know, you hear like... People hear, the, what is that, old Schwab's drugstore story, how somebody, you know, a million years ago, the movie stars would sit there and have a, 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 a Coke or a soda at the Lana counter. Lana Turner's famous they, story. Yeah, and get offered, like, become movie stars, you know? So, um, yeah, I was at the, at the theater one night. My uh, boyfriend at the time, who later became my husband, Murray Kaufman, Murray the K, was special consultant for Beatlemania, which was a, a Broadway show um, appearing on Broadway. And I was there watching the show one night sitting in, in our house seats that were, you know, great seats. Um, and sitting next to me was a gentleman who I had never met, but he was nice. And we were standing up on intermission and we started talking and it turns out, you know, he, it was Fred Silverman who at that time was, um, you know, head of, of programming for ABC a very successful, very powerful man, very nice man, outgoing. You know, I didn't know who he was, so we just started talking, and he started laughing with me. He said, he said well, my name is Fred Silverman. And I, I vaguely recognized the name, and I didn't realize that, oh, you're, you work at ABC, right? And he said, well, yes. And um, we're talking. He said, you know, you're very funny. He said, would you, you, you have an interest in doing sitcoms? And I was like, no, 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 actually, like, I'm on the soap opera, and I really like it, you know, I like the drama, and I've taken a lot of acting lessons, and um, I, I think I want to stay with the drama, because in those days, sitcoms were like, as a woman, you kind of had to play, like, ditzy, dumb, dumb, ditzy, silly, and because I was so young, I, I didn't want to be typecast as a, a silly redhead character, you know what I mean, a, a goofball. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be a serious actress. I was I was studying with Wynne Hanman in American Place Theater and, and Jean Bua and, and, and I, I, you know, um, I read Sonia Moore's books. And I mean, I was really in serious acting classes and I wanted to be a serious actress and have some longevity. Uh, so I just said, no, I'll think I'll stick with the drama. And I said, oh, you know, I'm on, um, you know, One Life to Live and I really like it right now. And, and, um, but we're going to be moving out to California. My, uh, Mari, who's a you know special consultant for this show, is, had to move out to California because 
Beatlemania was moving to the Schubert Theater, which was in Century City at that time. And I said, so, uh, you know, I'll probably be going out there. Um, I, I think I'm going to be getting killed off anyway. I think my storyline is up. And then the next day, he gets to talk to somebody. I get a phone call from um, Jackie Smith, who is head of um, vice president of daytime programming at the time at ABC. And she said, Douglas Marlin, who is one of our treasured head writers, uh, he's the head writer for General Hospital, which is in California, would very much like to meet with you. Um, you know, when can we do that? And I said, well, tomorrow, you know, where? where? Well, he doesn't live in the city. He lives in Connecticut, but um, he's willing to come in. I said, well, does he want to come to my apartment? You know, we could we could meet here. And she said, okay, she set it up. Next day he came in. At that time, I had a very nice apartment in New York, and he, I had lavender carpeting in the living room, and all the walls were painted lavender, and I had these gold lamé cushions. It was all like very, you know, I thought fabulous. Now, now I think <laughs> yeah, the back, height I thought, oh of God. '70s glam chic for <laughs> yeah, sure. Mirrored walls, you know, you can mirror the ceiling, mirror the wall. It was like, <laughs> oh my god! But in those days, I was really proud of my apartment, so I thought, well, I'm over here, you know, let him see, you know, that I have like good taste. <laughs> <laughs> I have artistic taste. Maybe it'll like me better as an actress. My <laughs> <laughs> decorating is good. So <laughs> he came over and he was so charming and so wonderful. We literally sat on the floor on my gold lamé cushions and we talked not just for like a half hour, an hour, like I thought would he penciled me in. We just ended up talking for several hours and we laughed and we had fun. And sure enough, the phone rings the next morning and it's Jackie Smith from, um, you know, ABC saying, um, would you like to, would you like to go play Bobby Spencer? We have a role on, it wasn't Bobby, Barbara Spencer on General Hospital. It's a contact role. You'll be working a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a major character coming, principal character coming onto the show. Starts next week, starts in a few days. You'd have to get on a plane pretty quick. um, And they knew, I guess, that Murray was going to be out. It was like, done. I didn't even have to audition. No screen test, no audition. And it was my second, you know, part that I never had on TV. So that was that. So thanks to Fred Silverman, Douglas Marlin, and Jackie Smith, <clears throat> there I was headed out to California to be on General Hospital. And here you are yeah. today. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> here I am today. And, you know, I was just lucky because Ken Schreiner, who's, you know, as you know, one of my best friends in the whole world, um, had tested. They had been testing. I didn't realize other w- young women for the part of Barbara Spencer. And they just, I was so lucky they hadn't found the one they wanted. You know what I mean? They he said, oh my God, we tested so many girls. There was reading with so many girls. We just couldn't find so many. Because Barbara Spencer was originally written to be a very, you know, dark uh, character coming from very humble beginnings with a lot of dysfunctionalism in the family. A lot of, there was a lot of, I think, uh, what they perceived at the time, a heaviness to the character and a, a character who was burdened with agendas and reactionary behavior based on a very difficult upbringing. And so I came in with a completely different vibe, being the people pleaser that I am. I'm happy. I'm bubbly. I, you know, the world is a beautiful place. I was young. And I think, I think Douglas Marland, when he saw that in me as a person, assumed that I would bring some of that to the character of Barbara Spencer and that it would make, it would balance her out a little more, you know, um, that she could be, maybe the audience would relate to her a little more. She could be a little more likable or maybe have a little more longevity. And I guess he was right. Cause it sure as heck, you know, here I am what, 42 <laughs> years later, still, yep. still playing the same role. So I guess it worked out well. <laughs> well, when we had Ken on the podcast, he, painted a very glamorous picture of seeing you for the first time uh, at the studio <laughs> for did. a coat and a limo. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, in those days we actually wore for coats. I shudder to say I don't anymore, but yes. And um, a limo. Mm-hmm. Well, what are your early memories of Ken and working with Jeannie Francis? Oh, heavenly, heavenly. I had watched, you know, General Hospital. So I knew I was very well aware of, you know, the show the characters, the storylines, and, you know, Ken and Jeannie were, like, on. They were fabulous. And um, Denise Alexander was on a lot, you know what I mean? She had this whole storyline. Emily McLaughlin, um, John Berardino. You know, I could go on and on and name you, but, I mean, the audience who knows and loves knows everybody who was on at that time. And uh, 
so the, the idea of working with these people was like, wow, I, I hope I can step up. You know, I felt that I'd had good training and good experience being on One Life to Live because the crowd there was awesome. But it's a very different thing when you go, you know, you fly, especially at such a young age, my whole world was changing. And my family, my mom and my dad and my sisters, you know, my whole family, my grandma, parents, they were all in New Jersey, um, which, you know, I had a car when I lived in New York and would literally drive to New Jersey every weekend to go see my family. We'd have Sunday dinners. And so it was a big, it was a big thing for me emotionally to, to leave everything I knew is my home and my reality and my work and pop out to California to be on general hospital, which I very well knew could be only for 13 weeks. You know, maybe they'd look and say, Oh, forget it. She's not any good or she's moving on. And, um, I'm I'm just grateful that it worked out. And Ken was welcoming. He was he was you know Ken. Ken was Ken. He was just <laughs> like he's funny and he's fun and he has a, this comedic part to him where if there's any way to you know bring as he calls it stick into a scene, that's what he does. So working with him was like having an acting lesson every day. And he's he's kind of he, he shifts and moves all around on camera. He never holds still. So. He, he taught me working with him to be aware of like where the sound was, where the boom was, where the lighting was, where the shots were. On those days, we had tally lights on the cameras. So when you would do your rehearsal, you would actually see like when the picture would go on and you, as you were talking, the light on your camera would be on. They didn't do really editing in those days the way they do now. It was all called by shots as it is now by the director in the booth, but now they can cut and edit and change. In those days, it was like boom, boom, boom. Whatever they shot was what they got, and that's what pretty much went on the air because there wasn't a lot of budget and there wasn't a lot of time. So learning with Ken taught me a lot because I just learned how to, you know, don't get shadows on your face. If he moves in front of my frame, move over a little so the cameraman can get a full shot. And it was it was great training. It was really great t- training. Now, uh, another thing, Jackie, that, that Ken let us in on when we had him on the podcast, was some some stories about a roller skating rink and some alcohol and some cast members going out after work. Were you part of those antics, Jackie? Absolutely. Uh, almost every night. <laughs> <laughs> In those days, we, you know, Gage would shoot like five days a week. We hardly ever got days off. I mean, now, you know, it goes dark, crazy times, and you get holidays off. In those days, we did get Christmas Day off, and we did get Thanksgiving Day off. Those are the only days we got off every time we worked five days a week. You know what I mean? So, And we were young, and we worked long hours. But after working all day in a studio, 10, 12 hours, you know, you're young. You want to go out. So, yeah, there was a, the roller rink. Cher used to go there a lot of times. It was right on the corner um, of La Cienega and Fountain used to be there. And we'd go roller skating at night. We'd go out to eat. We'd go to, um, yeah, I know, kid had a lot of favorite spots he would he'd like to go to in Hollywood. And in those days, I lived in, in Beverly Hills, right, like up Coldwater Canyon. So it was easy. You know, I had to drive like on Sunset. My route was from the studio, drive right, you know, down Sunset and then ma- and then make a right, you know, up Beverly up to Coldwater. So we'd have to drive through Hollywood every night anyway. Might as well stop and play a little. <laughs> <laughs> made the most of it. <laughs> we did. But, you know, we'd run lines, too. I mean, we'd sit there and we'd be grabbing something to eat and we'd be, like, reading our scripts and running through our lines for the next day. So it was much nicer to be sitting there doing that with a friend than sitting home on my bed in my pajamas, shoving my lines into my head, you know, by myself. <laughs> Of course. (laughs) Um, Now, in those days, Bobby started out as a schemer. She was pulling all sorts of tricks to keep Scotty and Laura apart. And she famously called up her brother, Luke, and brought him to town to help her do just that. So tell us about your early relationship with Tony and just what it was like to work with him. Tony is wonderful. He's, He's wonderful as an actor, as we all know, but also as a person. Um... I just, I, you know, I always wanted a big brother. I never had a big brother in real life. I have two fabulous sisters, but no boys in our family. Um, if, if I had been a boy, they, I, my name would have been Steve, Stephen. Um, but that didn't happen. <laughs> and so Tony became, for me, the there was like, people say, oh, is there crossover? Well, heck yes, for me, 
there was a lot of crossover. Joni became like the big brother that I always wanted and realized I never had. And because, you know, in those days, it wasn't like now where we, we have practically no overtime. In those days, we had long days. We do 10, 12-hour days, 18-hour days often. And uh, so we were together. I mean, I was with Tony and Ken and Jeannie, like more hours than I was with my own husband at home. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we were just second dinner break would be at 10 30 11 o'clock at night and there were many nights we were there for second first dinner break would be like 7 7 30 second dinner break was like 10 30 11 that's how long and, and our call times in the morning were like 6 6 37 for early morning blocking and in those days we used to um actors used to do their own blocking it was kind of like theater or scene for anybody that's ever taken scene class or scene study you know you come in with a scene and you put it up in front of the class you do your own blocking until the, the teacher or the director, you know, redirects you to do something differently. So we come in in the morning with an idea of, you know, when you want to stand up, when you want to sit on the sofa, when you want to take a sip of your water, when you want to put your purse down, when you want to take your coat off, all those little things that, like when you're watching a TV show, um, if you've never been in an acting class, you wouldn't even realize all that that's going on. But, but somebody has to decide when all that's going to happen. And in our case, it was the actors who decided it. Nowadays, it's the directors who, who decide that. And nowadays, when we come in and do General Hospital, you walk into the scene and the director will say, leave your coat on, take your coat off there, put it down on the sofa, put your purse there, go get the water, pour it, take, take a sip. You know, they tell you every little thing because they have, we have, we do so much in one day and we don't have overtime anymore. So they don't have time to redo stuff or we don't have the luxury of saying, Oh, you know, can I really sit and wait, not sit on that line? I mean, every once in a while, you feel really strongly a, a director will make an adjustment, but they, they don't really want to. So we try to, you know, whatever the director asks us to do, we try to, as an actor, just accommodate what the direction is mm-hmm. to make it happen. So um, working with Tony was awesome because it was like, we used to say fly by the seat of our pants um, every day, which is basically where we were, you know, it was the closest thing to being in rap or like being in theater in New York. We come in, we do our scenes and then we move on. So I have a story. Oh my gosh. About Tony. <laughs> oh, uh, tell us. So I, yeah. All right. So I met Tony the first day he came in and, uh, we, we did our scenes and it was wonderful. He was very professional. He, he, he Tony was not like a chatty, chatty, Kathy type person. You know, uh, he got more outgoing as time went on and we got to know each other better. But in those days, he was kind of quiet. Um, I don't want to say sullen because that sounds negative and he wasn't negative, but he didn't smile a whole lot. He wasn't bubbly. He'd come in the morning. Hey, how are you today? Anybody want a donut? You know, he was kind of like real quiet, didn't say anything unless it was had something to do with the material. You know what I mean? So I didn't know like the first time or two that I worked with him. I didn't know much about him, but I liked him. I liked that he knew his lines. He had his marks and I knew he was a good actor. It was good enough for me. And um, we did our scenes. So we had that whole day together. Well, that night I went home to my house in uh, Beverly Hills and drove up the hill, got out of my car, went in my room. At the time, I was studying TM, Transcendental Meditation, as a lot of people were in those days. Was kind of a thing, mm-hmm. and TM for anybody who doesn't know, you know, you do meditation. And when I was learning, was do thirty minutes in the morning and do thirty minutes at night. Sit on the floor, you know, cross-legged. You put a candle like ten feet away, and it's all about breath control. And you see the candle flicker. Anyway, I'm in my room doing my TM. I had dogs at the time. I had two German shepherds, runner and ruffian, who would not come into my room when I was doing TM. They just got a little skip, I think, because if there's spirit in the room or whatever's going on, the dogs don't want to be around that. Well, all of a sudden, I'm doing my TM exercise, and this Indian appears in my room, like up by the ceiling, American Indian, um, up by the ceiling, sitting cross-legged, He's like white and I can see through him. And he says, Tony. I'm like, Tony. Oh gosh. Okay. Tony. And I'm like, okay, well I had seen spirit before, so it wasn't um, a scary thing to me, but I knew when he said Tony, he meant Tony Geary, Anthony Geary. So going to work the next day and I go, um, 
Tony, I, I just want you to know I don't take any drugs. I don't even smoke pot. I, I, I don't drink. Um, but I was, you know, doing some some TM last night and, and uh, this Indian appeared in my room and he said, Tony, and I don't know where he came from and I don't know what he meant, but I know he meant you. And Tony says to me, oh, thank you. I, um, I have an Indian guide and I haven't connected with my Indian guide in a while. So I guess he's just trying to get through to me. Thank you. I'll check in. <laughs> and he took it with such a, with such ease. I was like, Oh, thank God. He doesn't think I'm a crazy, <laughs> actress, you know, woo -woo with all the woo -woo. that's so, wild. <laughs> well then, like I started to tell you how I felt he was my real brother. We had some disconnection, right? A couple of weeks later, I'm driving my car. I had a little white Corvette in those days. It was a pace car. It was convertible. And um, I'm driving down Coldwater Canyon to go to work early, like six, six o'clock in the morning. And boom, there's like a boom. It sounds like a gunshot. It's loud. It sounds like a, a gunshot and hits the front windshield of my car, makes a hole in the glass. It, it doesn't go through the glass to me, but it's like right in front of my face, but it makes spider vein cracks in the whole front windshield of my car and as this happens i i see in my i see in front of me this image of a man and a woman on a stage in france hundreds of years ago except and it's tony and me except that i'm the man and he's the woman and we're speaking french and it's like i don't know two three four five hundred years ago we have these costumes on a stage somebody shoots him, her, and she falls down dead in front of me, just falls down dead in front of me. And I'm like, oh my God, but it's a play in a, in the, so, so she's not really dead, but she's dead in the play. So, so this is like weird. Okay. <laughs> and I'm seeing the picture and I'm driving where I can park my car. I make it to work with the spider vein breaks all in the front of my windshield, park my car in the lot. We go in, we do our blocking. And I say, Tony, this weirdest thing happened. Come out. I want you to come out in the parking lot and see my car. Go out into the parking lot. I show him the front of my car. I, I say, so, you know, you and me were speaking French. You were on the stage except you were a woman and I was a man. And somebody shot you and you fell down dead. And I watched you in the play. And he said, oh, he said, I was doing some past life regression last night um, with a hypnotist. And they have it on tape. They were recording me. I was speaking French. But I don't speak French in this life. I never learned it. So I had a flashback on his past life regression from the night before. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> you guys were really connected. <laughs> yeah, I guess we did. Huh? Yeah. 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 So talk about, you know, I could go on and on, but, but those were two, you know, it just goes to show sometimes we are meant to, um, you know, meet, meet up, have experiences and, how much more an intimate, close relationship can you have with someone than, you know, to play their sibling on TV for 40 years? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, totally. Because <laughs> what happens in soap operas is, you know, you become so emotionally in tune. That's why when I talk about Tony or talk about Ken or Judy or, you know, Sam Behrens or, or you know, Brad Mall or, you know, any of the, the people that I've worked with so closely, my TV children, um, we we truly do share mutual memories together. We share life experiences. We share we know each other emotionally extremely well. And it's not just from a character standpoint. It's 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 the whole essence of the person. You know, it's the energy of the person. And that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, working on a soap opera is that it's um you know, it goes beyond just hi, learn your lines, hit your marks and moving on. It it's it becomes part of your your life experience and part of your heart. Absolutely. You have so many, you know, shared emotional experiences together that, you know, you're tapping into stuff that the average coworker doesn't, you know. Exactly. And I think that's, I think, you know, people say, oh, soap operas, how, you know, how, how have they survived all these years? Well, I think that's exactly why, because it's so real that the audience, um, our audience and our viewers get that it's real. It's as real to them as it is to us. You know, and I think, you know, the subconscious doesn't differentiate between what goes on when you're an actor, what you play in a scene and what you what you do in real life in your subconscious. It's all real. 
So you have go to have dreams at night. You can have dreams about your character or whatever's affected you emotionally in your acting scenes, as well as you can have dreams about what's going on with your real husband or your children in life. It's all switched in there and it's all, it all becomes real, which is why you look at great actors, you know, a great chameleon, you know, like something like Meryl Streep who goes on and plays, you know, she has so much because she does what we do every day, except she's doing different character each time. So she's developing all kinds of usually dysfunctional behavior, which is what people want to see in the movies. Right. So <laughs> it's just, it's, it's amazing when you, when you stop to think what that does on an energetic level to a person's life and has the ripple effect that it has on the people around them. So general hospital blew up so humongously in the 1980s. Can you paint a picture for us of of what it was like to be in the middle of that whirlwind of the show, being on the cover of magazines and commanding that huge, huge audience? Like what it was like for you as one of the cast members? It was so much fun. It was so exciting. Well, I think, you know, anytime you're on the upswing of something wonderful, it's wonderful because it's like it's like the, the adrenaline's going, the oxytocin's going. You know, it's like being on that roller coaster ride. Woo! Um, and from an acting standpoint, every day it was like jumping off the cliff. You know, we came in, we learned our lines, and it was like, okay, hit it, just do it. Whatever, whatever it will be, will be. And that's exciting. I mean, there's just something about that that I'm, I'm so grateful to have had so many years of this and to been able to experience this. Because along with the, the creative process was also then the fun of the perks, the travel, the, the extra jobs that we got offered, the, the, the opportunity to go out and do appearances to meet, you know, GH is a close set, so poppers are always close sets. So, and I like people, so getting invited to go out and do public appearances or go somewhere and meet people and travel I love that. You know, I love to hear what people say. People are just so nice and so welcoming. And, and, um, we were all offered a lot of other work. We got to do other projects. Um, there's a lot that comes with it when you get on a show that's, that's having a good run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you were on the best one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are having the best life and, and, we all knew it, you know, and people say, oh, it doesn't last forever. Well, in our case, it's lasted a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. You know, when you stop to think TV, I mean, what, what lasts forever? I mean, sports, news and, and uh, soap operas, you know, chat shows. That, that's pretty much everything else comes and goes. I mean, they make a big deal. If something stays on two seasons, what, five seasons, 10 seasons, something can go into syndication. That's like a BFD. Everybody's like, woohoo, 10 years. Kate's has been on over 50, you know, how lucky is that? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot. And, and a lot of that, yes, we have a great show, but a lot of that is credit to our audience who's stuck with us, who loves the show, who feels that, you know, the allegiance to the show. And here we are still standing after all these years. Um, now you, you mentioned, uh, you know, how fond you are of some of the, the men that you've worked closely with. I, I got to hear, you just saw Brad Mall recently, I know at an appearance, how long had it been since you had seen him and, and how's he doing and what was the reunion like? Oh, Brad, first of all, it was fabulous to see him. I hadn't seen him. We, we have stayed in touch, not a whole lot, but a little bit just through like Every once in a while, phone call or text or like a, a Facebook thing. I know I knew his kids really well, Lily and Hunter, because they were like we had our kids at the same time. His kids were a couple years older than mine, but not much. And they would like when my girls were really little, Lily, his daughter, was like a couple years older. So, you know, when you're like three and then there's a five year old or six year old, you're like, oh, wow. And we would go trick or treating together. You know, Brad's kids, Lily Hunter and Brad. And at the time he was married to Laverne and Lynn and Wayne, Lynn Herring and Wayne Northrup and, and their boys, Hank and Grady. And so all of us had our kids and uh, Christina um, and Jack had uh, Petey and Harrison. So we would we were like a tribe, you know what I mean? Our kids were all the same age, all bored at the same time. So catching up with Brad was amazing because not only did I have Jeff, Brad was going to him. I want to know Lily and Hunter and, you know, <laughs> he's, you know, a professor. He teaches um, drama, you know, in Texas. We got together and it was a joy to spend, you know, the weekend with him when we did this appearance back east. And we're actually doing one together 
this year's GH Fan Club Weekend in, um, when is it, August, Brad and I are doing a breakfast together. So so people who, you know, know and love the Bobby um, and Tony relationship can come and we're having, you know, Q&A and have breakfast together for about three hours in the morning of the GH weekend, which will be wonderful because I'm sure Brad's got a lot of stories um, of stuff I don't even know of what he's been doing. He's, he, he's very good at, um, like, he buys houses and redoes them and flips. He's creative. You know, he has a talent as an artist. And as a, in real estate. So he's done a lot of that over the years. In addition to his, you know, teaching there, he looks like a grizzly bear. He's got his a beard and, you know, his mustache is like all like white face. You know <laughs> what I mean? Still handsome as ever though. And, um, still has that hunky build that he always had of such a down to earth, gentlemanly, kind, generous personality. Um, I just, I just, love Brad. I just love Brad. And he's the same. It's like when we get together, it's like, you know, for those of us who are lucky enough to have cousins, you might not see him like all the time, but you get together like once or twice a year for a holiday or a wedding. And it's like, you go right back into the same mutual memories and the same energetic connection that you've always had. Well, that's how I felt with Brad. We got together and it was like, we didn't miss the beat. You know, I could talk to him about anything. Um, and, I, I would hope that he feels the same way about me. So I'm looking forward to seeing him again next month, mm-hmm. which will be really fun. Uh, now, what about working with Rick Springfield? Uh, Rick. Well, Rick, I adore. Um, I, I got to know Rick, you know, over the years, one from working on GH and also he um, and Barbara, his wife, lived in, and his kids were in Malibu for years, where which is where my we lived and raised my kids there so I would run into them in the neighborhood you know what I mean so I think there's something about when you not only do you work with somebody but you run into like them as your neighbor you feel like you know them really well because <laughs> you're kind of doing the same like Barbara and I would go to the same hairdresser in Malibu or you know we'd be sitting at something together and catch up Rick later after he wasn't on GH or in between GH stints he does these cruises, you know, on the where he goes on these big cruise ships, and his um, followers and and can come and like pay to go on the cruise and hang out with Rick. And he invited Doug Davidson and, and Rick are like really best friends, so he invited me to join him and Doug on one of these um, cruises for like a week. I forget where we went. We went down to like Nassau, or down the islands, out of Florida somewhere, and it was really fun hang out. My sister came with me and my sister and Barbara hit it off really well. So we just had a great time. So I love Rick. I love working with him because he's completely professional. In all the years I worked with Rick, he never once forgot a line. He never once messed up a scene. He's like the total consummate professional, really intelligent, extremely creative, very kind, very giving, is always willing to run lines. And he's really busy, you know, with his music and his tour dates. This is why we can't get him. I mean, we'd like to get him on GH more. We just can't because he's he's always busy. You know, he wrote he wrote the book. If anybody, if you read the book, people who have read the book got a real, real honest glimpse look into you know Rick and his life. When Rick when Rick and I were working together on on GH, he was dating Barbara Barbie as he called her. Um, it was before they were married and she used to write the script because we had a Noah and Bobby always had these love scenes and we were always kissing and the writers would write very explicit directions like how they wanted the scene to go like like just they would write like when to kiss when to hug when to do all the little little other things you do besides the dialogue and they would put in Barbie would I guess run lines with them and write things in the scripts like 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 no tongues on the kiss, <laughs> not too long. Take it easy. Don't enjoy it too much. Hysterical, <laughs> and we'd laugh. We'd laugh so hard. Sometimes I feel like I was going to pee in my pants. We'd laugh so hard. And we get the script, and he he turned the script around and go, "Look, look what she wrote." <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, it's that kind of stuff that you remember over the years. You know, it's like it's all good. It's all it's all wonderful. <laughs> all right, tell us about Sam Barron's story, who played uh, Jake, another one of Bobby's loves. Mm, Sammy. Sam, I, Sam is, like, special. And I, I don't see Sam or Sherry. Sherry Belafonte been married now for years. 
Um, I see them every once in a while. We used to have a mutual friend, doctor, who would have a party every 4th of July. So I would see Sam and Sherry at least once a year on, on the 4th of July at this party. But the last couple of years, they haven't come. But I think that's because they moved. Um, they had told me they were moving to, I think it was Nevada, Las Vegas. They were going out. They had a house here, and I'm assuming that they did. I, I am in touch with Sam like just through like Facebook. I haven't actually talked to him for a couple of years. But um, I'm assuming that all is well, and he's happy, and we've connected like that every once in a while. Like he'll message me, or I'll message him just on what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. Sam looks a lot like my former husband, um, Glenn, who's the father of my children, and Sam like looks so much alike. Same type, that Russian Jewish look, you know, the dark skin, very attractive, dark hair, nice build, all that. So people, when I was married to Glenn, would see us and uh, they would always think that Glenn was Sam. <laughs> We'd sit in a restaurant and they'd come over and, you know, they'd want to talk to, they'd want to talk to Glenn thinking he was Sam. He'd go, no, you're not, I'm not who you think. So one time we're in a, we're in a hotel doing some appearance somewhere, I don't know, some morning show. And, you know, the kids, I would always travel with my kids, with my husband, because I worked every day. So if I had to go do something on the weekend they would come with me because I already had a day job. I wasn't going to not see them on the weekend. So we're in some, I don't know, nice hotel and ordered room service. And normally like Glenn would answer the door if room service came because I'm the woman and I would be in my bathrobe or something. But anyway, he was in the shower. So I answer the door and uh, the room service guy comes in and uh, Glenn like, comes out. He's got the towel wrapped around just in the room service and the room service guy goes, oh my gosh. And he looks at Glenn. He goes, can I have your autograph for my wife? And Glenn goes, no, 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 you don't, you don't want, I'm not who you think you are. He goes, oh, no, no, I know who you are. I know who you are. You can't fool me, but please just, you know, can I just have your autograph? And he goes, no, 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 it's not really me. You want my wife. And the guy looks, takes one look at me with no makeup on, and I look nothing like Bobby. And he goes, <laughs> he wouldn't believe that I was Bobby. Glenn was Jake. And he only wanted Jake. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. And I loved it. I just I thought that was that was wonderful. So I couldn't like to kill Sam about that. <laughs> Sam got a kick out of it. <laughs> um now in addition to all um of your years on daytime, you've also done some web series, including The Bay and the soap inspired digital drama Misguided, which just had its fourth season premiere. So tell us how you got involved and about your experience on that show. Oh wow. Well, I love doing misguided. I I have to tell you, it's Paul Gosselin, who's the, he's Paul Gosselin is the writer, director, creator of the show. Paul Gosselin grew up like watching Guiding Light, which I did too as a kid. So I get the you know connection there. And uh, he just always wanted to be on Guiding Light. He decided as he got older, he wanted to be an actor. He was getting on Guiding Light, no matter what he had to do, that was going to happen, and he was going to be a soap star. So I just love that kind of when people like in their minds say, you know, what they're going to do and they end up doing it. Like mm -hmm. when I was, a, when I was a young girl, my mom told me that when I was like seven or eight years old, um, and I don't have no recollection of this, except that my mother told me, my mom said, I told her one day, mommy, when I grow up, I'm going to be very successful one day, but I'm not going to marry money. I'm going to do it on my own. Well, I have no... Wow recollection of saying that, but she said, I said that when I was seven and it sure came out to be true. So it just goes to show that when someone decides that they have a vision and they want to write their story and they're going to live their story as they, in their head, that's what Paul has done. So he put together the show. He contacted, we hadn't, you know, we had never met, but he contacted my agent and, um, he said, you know, there's this part on, on misguided and it was to play his mother to play Mo, who's his mother, Paul's real-life mother, and the character's loosely based on his real-life mother. Well, the only other time I played somebody's mother was John. I played John Hughes' mother in um, National Lampoon's Class Reunion years ago when I was 28 years old. It was like 10-year high school reunion. I was cast in that, and as we were shooting, John Hughes came on the set one day, and he said, oh, oh you're... I said, can you give me any notes on the character? You know, I tell me what I'm doing here. And he goes, you're playing characters loosely based on my mom. And I was like, oh, God, no pressure there. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 
you know, playing like a writer, director, producer's mother is like a big responsibility on an actress because you want to get it right. You want them to be happy. You want the mother to be happy. And at the same time, you got to be true to who you think the character is. So <clears throat> it became like a really exciting experience for me to be playing Mo. And Paul has written, it's, it's, it's a fun show. And what I love about it, it's a true dramedy. It's true, like drama and comedy mixed together, which as a soap actress, you know, I never get to do any con- comedy. And whenever I would try to stick something in, they would say, no, no, no. They would drag me. Don't do that. It's not a funny scene. It's not supposed to get a laugh. I mean, oh, come on. It's a soap opera. Audience likes to laugh, but you can't argue with them. They want it how they want it. So, you know, we don't do that on the soap. But with Paul, yes, every opportunity, you know, that we can make it fun and make somebody. So that's what we do. So I've been on the last couple of seasons. He's invited me back. I'm absolutely thrilled that he's, you know, continued to write his mom and me in. (laughs) And ironically, last year, he grew up in Burlington, Vermont, which is where his mom, where the character Mo lives on the show and where his mother really did live and where he grew up. And I had cause to go there. I was doing that for my decorating show for Make This Place Your Home. We were shooting something in, in Vermont and I called Paul and I said, well, oh, I'm actually really, really going to Burlington, Vermont. I'm actually going to see where Mo lives. And he was like, oh my gosh, you know, there's no direct, you can't even get to Burlington, Vermont on a direct flight from LA. You have to go through Chicago or somewhere else, you know, to get there. But I thought that was like fascinating. It was like, all research, you know? So again, it shows small world. And this year, um, for this season, we shot, we, you know, we misguided. It's not like, like a general hospital show where you shoot like all year long. We shoot like a clump of episodes all within like a month, usually within a month. And it's not, we don't fly anywhere to travel. It's all done locally here in LA. Um, and Paul finds some stuff is done on set where he, you know, we have sets inside studio and some of it's just done outside on location, whatever, but that's the joy of it. It's, it's very unpredictable and it's very fluid. And, um, I just love working with him. I love the cast. You know, we have, we have wonderful people. I mean, Jean Carroll, you know, my gosh, people Mm -hmm. watching soaps, Justin Klosky's on Stephanie Gatchett, Stephanie, who, who played Laura Wright's daughter on Guiding Light. So talk about small world, right? I'm working Full with circle. Stephanie. She goes, oh, yeah, I was Laura Wright's daughter. And, you know, now you, she's your daughter. I was her daughter. I got in line. I'm like, oh, my God. So immediately I took a selfie of Stephanie and me and texted it to Laura Wright, who was shooting on GH that day. I was like, look who I'm working with today. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like a small world. I mean, we got Cynthia Watros. We got Yvette Cor- Corvea. We got people on that are, like, really, really good because people know that Paul is really good and the show is really good. So he gets top-notch, you know, actors to come on. So – it's fabulous. I hope the audience will love it. And I hope that people will watch it. And I hope that we get, you know, we do really well. And Paul gets a whole bunch of production money and we could do another whole season. <laughs> well, so do we. Well, people should Thank definitely you. check it out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, well, it was so great to talk to you today, Jackie. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's it's been lovely taking this walk down memory lane with you. (laughs) Such a joy for us, too. Thank you so much, Jackie. Have a great day. I will. You, too. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Jacqueline Zeman for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.